for March 14th, 2011. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 141, on the advice of my podcaster. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From the uh, soon-to-be radioactive left coast of America, I am your host, Matthew Rather, here with a giant panel uh, tonight to overthink all the pop culture news. Um, So let's jump right in with the question. St. Patrick's Day coming up. Uh, this, uh, this week, very few of us have any Irish heritage. So what is your excuse for getting drunk on St. Patrick's day, despite the fact that you are not Irish? Uh, if you are Irish, please feel free to adapt the question to you, uh, because all is right with the universe. We begin, uh, at the very beginning of the alphabet, a very good place to start with Mr. Peter Fenzel. Hey, how's it going, Matt? Oh, pretty good. I'm, I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Doing well. A little bit, a little bit hungover today, actually, because of St. Patrick's Day related festivities. Excellent. <laughs> uh, so, and I would, I would say that the main reason is just because red wine is so healthy. You know, it's, right. it's just so healthy. You, you got to have that glass of red wine every hour. Or Prom- half an hour. <laughs> One an hour. Keep hard. It it's promotes important. it promotes cardiac health. Yeah, it's got electrolytes in it. I mean, and it's got um, uh, what's the word for antioxidants? Exactly. It's got all that multisyllabic good stuff. Yeah, definitely. Excellent. <laughs> Perfect. I I can't even see you all in my Skype window, so I'm trying to see who's next in the alphabet. I think it is Mark Lee. Me. Okay. There are three terrible, intractable problems that we aren't doing anything to stop and are going to lead to our demise. Now that's what makes me drink. Ready for them? Yes. Number one, global warming. We're not doing nearly enough to stop it. And all indicators say that we are pretty much headed for a day after tomorrow like weather apocalypse. And, you know, within the next century or so, we're screwed. Number two, uh, fiscal health of uh, local and state governments with regards to their pension and health care obligations. It is a fiscal apocalypse waiting to happen. I don't think they've quite made a Jerry Bruckheimer movie about unfunded pensions, but I, I would watch that. I think that'd be awesome. And lastly, uh, upcoming Terminator sequels. They're going to happen and they're going to suck and there's not much we can do about it. Yeah. be bad. That, that is enough, uh, Mark, I think, to drive any man to drink. Uh, Joshua McNeil next in the alphabet. Why are you drinking, Josh? Well, over the years, I've drunk for a number of reasons. But um, after hitting 30, I found that mostly I drink because I feel old which has the paradoxical effect of making me feel older for at least a few days afterwards. Um, And like Pete, uh, with whom I was drinking red wine last night, uh, that is particularly evident today. I (laughs) I drink because I feel old, and I feel old because I drink. It's a vicious cycle. It is true. Uh, Also, I do have a bit of the Irish, uh, as the McNeil suggests, which... uh, which, you know, at I least thought, keeps me in good company. I thought you were Scottish. Yeah, there was a lot of migration there. They're really not that far apart. I guess so. Oh, oh them fighting words. Them fighting words. Is that your Scottish accent? I'm, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. say, well, first of all, just for the record, saying that, you know, a lot of migration, not a little difference between Irish and Scottish. Um, uh, you, you, you're saying the same thing. What, next thing you're going to say, like, not much difference between, like, you know, Chinese and Japanese, Korean, a lot of migration, huh? You're all Asian. All I'm saying, Mark, is yeah. that, that, that 
perhaps one or two families have lived in more than one of those countries. Well, I don't care if there's a, like a hundred thousand, hundred million Chinese people with the last name of Lee. Probably care. That's like Korean and stuff. No relation. <laughs> well, as a Japanese person, I don't know why you're upset. <laughs> Way to play that card, Josh. Gosh. Hey, that guy getting uh, that guy giving me shit about my uh, dialect is John Parrish. What up? What up? What up? So, yeah, my excuse. I actually am a one quarter Irish. It's on my mom's side, so I have that as an excuse to drink anytime I damn well want. But typically, the excuse I have to drink is, and this may this may sound a little pathetic, but it helps me with my writing. I, in addition to the. <laughs> In addition to the writing I do for the site, I also work on other projects. I've got, uh, at any given time, one or two novels in the, in the burner, and I'm working on those. And I found that, you know, one or two mixed drinks generally lowers my inhibitions and, and makes the creative juices flow a little better. So, you know, that, that myth or that, that urban legend of, you know, successful writers being raging alcoholics, there's, a, there's some truth to that. There's a, there's a little bit there, a little bit of the Sherwood Anderson, a little bit of the James Joyce, a little bit of the Stephen King, you know, it's uh, something to do with that. John, uh, John Gardner, the novelist, called it the, uh, the number one, uh, you know, hazard of the occupation, you know. Uh, yeah. There's nothing wrong with the pink lady of inspiration, John. You shouldn't. <laughs> with, uh, uh, with, the, with the what now? The Shirley Temple of Genius. Ah, okay. Now I'm with you. Now I'm with you. Right. I, um, Speaking of which, I've, already, I've already, had a, already had a drink this evening, and I may have one more. Excellent. It wouldn't be a podcast without it. I have. Uh, I am just finishing my glass of lovely Trader Joe's Cote d'Iron wine now. Um, I drink to forget my feelings, and we're very lucky to have with us tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I could have said something, but I didn't. I, I we're very lucky to have with us tonight a very uh, a very special guest. Um, I. <laughs> I actually got a bunch of emails this week uh, at podcastsoverthinkingit.com uh, about guesting on the podcast, and I think it's a fantastic idea. I think the price of admission is uh, a long time is either listening to every overthinking it podcast um, or you know long time fandom. We have uh, overthinkingit.com's first fan, uh, super fan, uh, Gabrielle Arrowwood goes by Gab on the site. Gab, welcome to the show. Hello there. Hey, it's great to have you. So my excuse to drink, um, like any grand American, I'm actually a mutt. And uh, my two biggest chunks of DNA are Native American and Irish. So I'm going to go with the (laughs) colonialism conquering as per history. So I'll drink pretty much any chance I get. Sure. Uh, my favorite is Kahlua. So pretty much your answer is the British. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Hey, Gab, where are, you, where are you Skyping in from? West Lafayette, Indiana. Wow. Well, tell us what you're doing there in a second. Uh, we'll be right back. But again, we have a, a sponsor just like last week. And the sponsor is us. I feel like I feel like uh, I feel like I'm the Kingdom of Loathing's uh, <laughs> slogan, right? A sponsorer is me. I guess sponsorer <laughs> sponsorer is not uh, actually a word. It's it's sponsor, uh, which I would know if I were at the AA meetings that apparently I ought to be attending. Um, the uh, 
<laughs> the sponsor is The Overview, our uh, occasional series. We're hoping to make it now a monthly series of alternative commentaries, uh, which are for sale. That's right, sale on the website. We've always asked for your donations, and some people have uh, come through with astonishing generosity, um, with like verging on, verging on three-figure generosity <laughs> to overthinking it, which uh, has been fantastic. But well, I've always been sad that we don't have anything to give back to you, not even like public radio-style mugs or T-shirts or anything like that. Um, but now, now we have bag. this. Tote bag, right. The overthinking at tote bag with Otis on the side. That's actually a very good idea. Maybe we'll do one of those on Zazzle or something like that. Um, but if we start I, doing that, we need to have one of our fundraising, fundraising executives then get hoodwinked by um, that Tea Party guy. Yeah. And get caught on video saying terrible things about, oh, I don't know. Well, we say terrible <laughs> things about uh, Michael Bay and, uh, and Big G anyway. So. What about the Onion uh, AV Club? What if we start a, uh, what if we start a <laughs> more with the, the Onion AV Club? Um, They're all a bunch of racists. <laughs> they are. We, we should totally no. We should totally take on the New York Times uh, op-ed columnist, like Enma. That's what you like, call that's, Pete. That's what you call low-hanging fruit, right there. Come on. <laughs> Fair exactly. Like, Maureen oh, Dowd is a communist. Maureen Dowd. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> that pinko you know commie. Successful older women, Maureen Dowd, because you're the sample of the population we're testing, <laughs> and they don't want to date you specifically. Let's workshop that. Let's come back to it. Let's, let's right, right. You got to throw a lot of darts in a brainstorming environment. There are no bad jokes. Uh, only on a podcast hey. that you release to the public are there bad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, um, so, uh, and I tell most of them. So there you go. So what we have now uh, are these commentaries, and they're they're fantastic. Uh, I um I saw on Adam Carolla's website because uh, I'm a red blooded American and listen to his uh, listen to his podcast on a regular basis. I'm a red blooded American man. Um, I saw that he was selling something like this for ten bucks, and I thought that was exorbitant. And I went over to Rift Tracks, and they're four bucks. And so ours is uh, ours is three ninety nine, and you get uh, two hours of solid entertainment where we watch uh, the film Starship Troopers, the uh, little known indie classic, uh, Verhoeven's Starship Troopers, and we uh, comment on it from a uh, from a bunch of perspectives. Uh, and uh, you can download this, and you need your own copy of Starship Troopers, but you play the movie and you play our commentary at the same time. They line up, and we're uh, talking to you about what you see on the screen as you're doing it. It's like listening to a movie with your friends, except better because it's us. <laughs> so um, so uh, we're going to do more. <laughs> it's like your friends, but better because uh, it's us. We're going to do more of these, but I wanted to point out if you haven't gotten this yet, if you've been on the fence, uh, maybe because you don't have a copy of Starship Troopers, Starship Troopers is available on Netflix instant streaming, right? And you and- do have that, right? No, yeah. seriously. Before but- you buy our overview track, Pony up for the subscription for Netflix because you need that. Yeah, absolutely. Before you send over thinking it any money, make sure you're you know paying your seven bucks a month for Netflix or whatever it is. Uh, do do that. So you have the movie already on your you know set top box or your gaming console or your computer or your portable device or you know whatever the hell you have. Uh, I'm, I think Netflix makes a player for it, and your uh, seven bucks a month gets you Starship Troopers. You're paying for it anyway. So uh, for three ninety nine, you can get the full overthinking it experience, and if you want want to know the kind of thing 
Um, if you want to know the kind of thing that we do, you can listen to the first episode of the overview, which is free uh, and available on the site. It's our uh, it's our overthinking of Twilight. Uh, it's uh, at overthinkingit.com slash store where you can get Twilight for free. Now, the best compliment we've gotten on these is that some people have said, um, you know, I listened to the commentary without the movie and it was still pretty damn entertaining. So uh, if we're clear in that bar, then uh, you add the movie to it. It can only get better. I think. I don't know. I haven't really worked out the logic of that statement. But if it hasn't uh, gotten better yet, just add alcohol. Exactly. That's right. Because if you, if you press play eight minutes into The Wizard of Oz, it actually lines up really well. It really does. <laughs> Absolutely. And actually, if you get two episodes of the Overthinking It podcast and then the two overviews and you put them on four, uh, four MP3 players and put them around your room... Uh, I think the Flaming Lips released that as an album. And, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> it's called Zyarika. Anyone? No. So uh, we're, brought to you by, we're brought to you by the overview. Uh, check it out at overthinkingit.com slash store. And, uh, I, I have to ask, as, as overthinking its comptroller, what are the accounting implications of one part of overthinking it sponsoring another part of overthinking it? Is that, like, do we have to... Like, do we have to declare this as a as realized revenue for the next quarter or something? Well, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny because we're incorporated in two different ways, right? Uh, overthinking it is a five hundred one c three not for profit corporation, but the um, the overview is a five hundred one c four. Uh, corporation that uh, can engage in political uh, activities. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Okay. So, you know, so it's actually it's actually uh, two separate organizations operating under the same uh, the same umbrella with the same personnel. But uh, but one uh, for one, uh, your donations are tax deductible to the full extent allowed by law, uh, and for the other, they are not. Uh, and that's where we do all the for profit activities. No, none of, yeah. none of it's for fro- profit. It's all for uh, it's all for running overthinking it um you know aside from aside from our costs which are considerable uh we are trying to expand our coverage we would like to do more media we'd like to do more sort of audio podcasts and and even get into some video and that costs even more money than we're paying now to do the just the text site so you know so you can expect to see things like this uh for us the response has been really good um so far uh from people and people say that they like it they say that uh, uh someone was very nice someone said uh, i think it was squin said uh it's a steal at 399 for something like this so um you know people people seem to be enjoying it it's good and uh it complements what you already own so it um you know it feeds right into that bias for uh you know confirming your own purchasing decisions ex post facto it will make you feel really good about shelling out for uh for Netflix Instant Streaming, if you can, um, if you can listen to an overview while you're watching a yeah. movie on uh, Netflix Instant Streaming, uh, that's Plus on in the overview of uh, Love Actually. There's a great discussion of OSHA funding levels uh, that goes on for a really long time, and then we talk about advocacy for different foreign policy positions. Um, all right, never mind. And then, and then, <laughs> I'm going back to the five one C four joke. No, then, nothing, right. nothing. And then, nobody? We, then we go into a uh, then we go into a very um, we go into a, a, a very impassioned uh, debate about uh, public sector unions. But that's for another time. That's overthinkingit.com <laughs> slash store. We are brought to you by The Overview. Gab, back to you. Can you tell us a little something about your history with overthinking it? Because the, you know from listening to many, many of these podcasts, the thing that fascinates us most, more than anything else in the world, is, well, us. So uh, tell us how you came to overthinking it, and what did you think... Um, uh, what did you th- What the hell did you think when you got here? Um, 
The first article I read was the one about the Nazgul, because it was oh, linked on right. IMDb. Yeah. And that was I thought, a, oh. Epic fail. That's right. That's right. I'm sorry. I'm going to back away. I'll let you talk. It was no, the, cool. the article that Gab is yeah. talking about is the Nazgul equals epic fail. It was written by Belinky. It was one of our one of our early sort of viral hits through uh, through IMDb.com, and uh, it compared the Nazgul uh, in Lord of the Rings to a Labradoodle. Uh, puppy uh and in every case the labradoodle came out ahead uh in terms of being more badass yeah that was the first one and then i thought oh that's funny but you got linked again because of the whole dark knight series and i knew i was hooked then because i'm a kind of a comic book nerd and uh so i actually backlogged and read all your stuff and i have listened to all the old podcasts as well and so i've just been kind of a groupie ever since i suppose that is quite a feat because, uh, as as I said last week, they are not all gems in the in the early days. <laughs> Though you know, by by about Mint Milano's, by the Mint Milano's episode, we were hitting our stride. You know, uh, yeah. Actually, one of my favorites still to this day is the Dark Knight uh, is the Dark Knight analysis episode, which I think is number ten um, that we did. Yep, and uh, and so you've written actually in in comments, you've written almost as many uh, thousands of words as the. Uh, <laughs> The contributors themselves, and in fact, have contributed a guest article yourself to overthinking it. Yeah, well, I'm pretty good at circumlocution, and uh, I have a tendency to ramble. So, by all means, cut me off if you have to. Well, you're in a you're in a safe place for rambling. This is overthinkingit.com, after all. Hey, Gab, I have, a, I have a question for you. And as since you're you know been the most active commenter on the site, um, the question is sort of like, what is your take on the commenting community and overthinking it? We are, I think, pretty proud of the fact that we've curated a pretty uh, a, a lot of intelligent conversations in the comments that don't descend to the level of uh, discourse that we see on our other websites. So what's your take like on... Like the AV on, on, Club, on... where they are not only racists, <laughs> but uh, also have substandard intelligence. Exactly. So again, what's your opinion on that? And also, like, where else do you comment on the internet and where and like are there other good discussions like this going on that we should be a part of um you know i have to say i do think that overthinking it's probably quote unquote the safest place i've ever tried um i've joined other forums before that supposedly are going to be you know nice and intelligent and then you end up getting you know douchebags who start swearing and being assholes and uh this doesn't really seem to happen on overthinking it for some reason. I think probably just because of the niche that you guys are filling. We're pretty my, sure that's the reason. My efforts to strike fear in our commenting community have clearly gone awry. <laughs> <laughs> They're con- <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> um, what, just because we're, we're such nerds? I don't necessarily think it's that so much as just... There's this certain kind of unspoken code of conduct that seems to be followed. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, we're here, you know, overthinking is here. We're here to talk about the material. We're not here to talk about each other. And so if yeah. I wanted to... <laughs> what are you talking about? Of course. So right I, you know what I mean? If I wanted to say that, that Peter Fenzel is an idiot, uh, I wouldn't come out and say on overthinking it that... Peter Fenzel no. is an idiot, even though I may think yeah. that Peter Fenzel is an idiot. Uh, I would yeah. never say that. And but I, mean, I think it goes a little beyond that, though, because I don't even really see a whole lot of ad hominems or anything like you see at other places on overthinking it. Yeah. That's just because we don't know what it means. Oh, 
It's Latin, Josh. <laughs> oh, wow. It yeah, means it, that when somebody says something, the other person just said, but it spells it differently. Yeah. <laughs> Precisely. It's, it's one. It's one of those magical. It's one of those magical Latin spells that makes you instantly wrong, like post hoc ergo propter hoc, or ad hominem, <laughs> or you know, qu- or quay quay quay, saying things like that. It, it's a magic Latin spell that makes the person wrong. <laughs> That's funny. It's a what, what did Russell call them? Conversation stoppers, right? That like, <laughs> right? Exactly. It's kind of like someone calling someone Orwellian or saying that that's yeah, that's just double think or that's just you know I don't know Big Brother. You know, it's a it's a kind or of thing Godwin's that, law. Yeah, there's mm. kind of no there's kind of no counter argument for these things. These uh these magic words. I was sort of thinking of magic words uh, uh, the other day. Um, and you know what I mean? And how kind of communities, how communities develop jargon and how jargon is sort of important in a way because you can't, you can't spend 15 minutes explaining what specifically you mean every time you want to have a conversation about it. Um, you know, you know what I mean? It's the phenomenon when two people are kind of doing, doing this and they say this to each other, but it's, it's not quite this. It's the other thing, you know, getting a, getting a, uh, I guess a slang term or getting a, like a piece of technical jargon for it is, um, it is useful, but the, you know, I don't know, the, the jargon sort of fossilizes and becomes the story, uh, rather than, and you start having arguments about jargon, uh, rather than realizing that you're supposed to kind of reach through the jargon to the material that is, uh, that is under discussion, right? Right. But, you know, that old technique is a great way of having a conversation on something without actually knowing anything about it. You just talk about the terms that you choose to define yourself. The, um, you know, uh, Schopenhauer uh, wrote a little – I don't know if it was meant to be funny, but wrote a little thing. Um, it was a very early list post, you know. It was long before <laughs> blogs, but uh, Schopenhauer wrote this thing. It was like, you know, 23 ways to win an argument or something like that. Um, and you can do uh, – uh, you can look at it. And it's like, um, you know, it's uh, – one of them is like – uh, claim that your opponent's views are shared by certain odious persons and should therefore be discounted. And that, you know what I mean? Which is, which is kind of a way of saying like, well, that's exactly what the Nazis thought, you know, uh, mm-hmm. or, or something like that. And so he had all the kind of the troll. Wow, techniques. That's, gr- that's great. Is someone writing these down? I could use these. All the, <laughs> all the, all the troll techniques, all the kind of flame bait, um, all the flame bait uh, stuff down, you know, hundreds of years before the invention of the internet. So what you're saying is Schopenhauer was first. <laughs> <laughs> no, frist. Frist. Ah, yes. Uh, well, hey, so um, anything else? St. Patrick's Day. What's going on with St. Patrick's Day? I guess uh, Ireland doesn't have snakes anymore, so we eat boiled cabbage. Mm. Drink green beer. Do you celebrate St. Patrick's Day? I mean, is it other than an excuse to drink? I, so so I'll, I'll open this up. I, I have to say, given the history of racial discrimination against the Irish in this country, being quarter Irish, as I mentioned, although I never suffered any of that because it ended rather quickly, I, I have to say it's amazing the, I guess, the, the market penetration, to use a, a rather consumerist term, of Irish phenomena and cultural heritage such that, you know, it was it was fairly recent in the twentieth century that Irish people were openly discriminated against. And now the the phenomenon most closely 
And now the holiday most closely associated with Ireland is you know, celebrated in just about every part of the country publicly with lots of lots of big celebrations. Yeah, well, it's I mean, you can say the same thing about like Cinco de Mayo, right? And uh, which is, you know, you still see, I, I would say, probably a lot more discrimination against Latinos than or Chicanos than um, uh, than Irish these days. It's it's still a very current current phenomenon that's working its way through. Uh, the society because of the, you know, that's where the kind of the current waves of immigration are coming from. And yet this idea of like Cinco de Mayo as a holiday, at least here in, in L.A., maybe because it's here, um, is, uh, well, but if you talk, you know, is a huge thing. I don't know. All the Hispanics that I know are like people who have family in Mexico. They don't really care about Cinco de Mayo there. It's like one of those we're going to be inclusive. Oh, diversity. Yay. Type deals is the impression that they've given me that they have well i don't think it's well, cinco de mayo isn't a real holiday i mean it's not that yeah, it's not a it's not a, it's, it's not a thing in, in mexico you know yeah it, it, it yeah. is a real holiday but it's, it's not celebrating mexican independence or anything like that it's like a particular right. military victory over the french right which is like not something right. that everybody's all thinking about all the time right well we've sort of well, done this with with every culture that's coming right like uh well, yeah italian immigrants have columbus day um yeah. i'm actually waiting for chinese new year to get big I feel like that's <laughs> next, right? Like when, when, when the rest of America completely co-ops Chinese New Year. Well, um, why, why are you waiting for it? Do you have investments in fireworks or something that you're, you're waiting to pay off? In paper Is another excuse to drink? Is that what it is? Well, largely, it's, it's an excuse to drink with firecrackers, um, which yeah, right. and, 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 they really fire. haven't had since college. You're right. This needs to happen soonest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so basically, like much like in Cinco de Mayo, it's like white people like drinking Mexican drinks. It, in like a Lunar New Year, you want to see like people in Alabama shooting off fireworks and like with with uh, with drag with like uh, lion dances going on, <laughs> like Chinese rice liquor, like exactly. really fierce, exactly. awful stuff. Ugh. Okay, well, I grew up in Las Vegas, and they have there obviously an excuse to drink. So they actually have a parade on Martin Luther King Day that people get drunk at. An MLK Day parade? Or they get drunk on MLK? Yep. <laughs> That's brilliant. Why, why doesn't anybody, more people cut off? <laughs> MLK is a drinking holiday. Drink. Like, I thought you were horrified there for a second. You're like, That's amazing. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a day off of work. Why not? Well, basically. Yeah. Although it, it is... It is interesting. I mean, there's something to be said, and, and positively for the, the – g- give me a second. I'm going to dig a pretty deep hole and then climb out of it. There's something to be said about the expropriation of one culture by another for purposes of celebration. And the example that comes to mind – bear with me, guys – is it's something I discovered while watching uh, Treme on HBO this the, over the spring and summer is the, the tradition of uh, of – Indian masking of Indian dancing that that goes on in New Orleans, I mean, sure. especially prominent around Mardi Gras, which happened, you know, just this past week as well, which is which is primarily celebrated by by you know the African American native, uh, not sorry, the African American you know residents of New Orleans who you know may have who may have some Native American heritage, but not aren't necessarily directly related by blood, and sort of transcended in this very sort of stylized costumed pageant that has very that has less and less relation to actual Native American traditions. And it occurs to me now that we have someone who actually descends from Native Americans on the podcast that Gab, yeah, maybe you can speak to this more. But, you know, it's 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 a tradition that's going back 
over a hundred years at this point and is, is very much an ingrained part of New Orleans culture. So, you know, no one can, you can't really say that it's, oh, it's, you know, just expropriated or that it's borrowed or that it's not legitimate. You may answer that. I, I guess I'd agree. I mean, um, I actually had this conversation a few nights ago at a bar um, talking about sports representations of Native Americans. And uh, that we've got into this kind of like pseudo debate about um, whether the Cleveland Blackhawks um, are depicting it in an offensive way. And my feeling is, I guess, I guess not. And I started talking about how like the feathers, um, you know, having a huge headdress wasn't very typical because each feather had to be earned. And then we did some investigations and uh, thought maybe uh, the Blackhawk logo had a feather for every Stanley Cup they had won. It didn't end up being the case, but in my opinion, that would have been kind of awesome. Like, wow, yeah, they're that, like being really traditionalist. Oh my gosh! That, that would have that would have been uh, that would have been a surprisingly effective sweep by the Blackhawks that uh, that nobody had heard of. But uh, you know, su- such things happen. Maybe there were a couple of stealth years in hockey that no one was paying attention to. But uh, huh. well, good. Now that we've got the Blackhawk down. Ah. Hey, speaking <laughs> speaking of professional sports franchises that have a number of questionable depictions of Native Americans in them. Who's been following the football lockout? I thought you were talking about gymnastics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, figure skating? Like figure skating to, in Tolkien's music and stuff? <laughs> <laughs> well, I Can paint you... with all the colors of the wind. <laughs> if anyone on the podcast does it, yeah. Is anyone going to pick up John's transition there? He, he, uh... Anyone? I, I segued the hell out of that guy. Yeah, he, I'm sorry. I'm okay, eating a sandwich while we're podcasting. Okay, I'm sorry. Put the sandwich down. Okay. First of all, someone explain to me what's going on with the NFL. Because okay, uh, okay. Uh, as so far as a man and woman fall in love, <laughs> he was special <laughs> hug. No, never mind. Go ahead. All right. I'll, I'll get on the, I'll get on the, I'll get on the, the talking bit. So currently there's, Okay, so there was a right, basically the the contract between the NFL Players Association and the the NFL team owners uh, came to came to an end this past uh, I, I think this past weekend, technically this past Friday, and there was a lot of talk going into it about some major disagreements between the two sides. The the league, as represented by the owners, wants to extend the NFL season from 16 regular season games to, I believe, 18 regular season games, which is pretty strongly contested by the NFL Players Association, given the intense damage that playing professional football does to one's body. Now, recognizing this, the the owners' association has made a, a bunch of concessions to the players as a result. Like, oh, okay, you know, if if you suffer a season-ending injury, there'll be you know a guarantee of a certain amount of salary in the in the year following and there'll be a you know guaranteed lifetime medical coverage and things like that but there's still a lot of back and forth in between there so this friday was kind of the the do or die point for the agreement to be resolved quote-unquote peacefully and uh, what's happened is the nfl players association has decertified which means it's sort of I, I, I need some. I need someone who's better grounded in labor economics than me. So, Josh, speak up. But my, my understanding is that it's the, the union has sort of backed off because 
you know, it, as, as with as with any contract, you know, you enter into a contract that says, all right, if, if we have a breakdown, we will agree to whatever this arbitrating body says. And I guess in order to get out of having to follow whatever the arbitrating body says, the NFL Players Association decertified, meaning like, oh, okay, we, we back off, you know, we're, we're walking away entirely. Which means I don't think that's exactly what, why they okay. decertified. Okay, uh, then, please, go ahead, go ahead. I mean, my, my understanding, and, and we can correct this, I believe, is that there was some part of the nature of the relationship between the Players Association and the league that prevented, um, or that, that held off uh, potential antitrust uh, actions in court. Right, because the because the NFL yeah. owners are a bunch of different businesses that effectively run like a cartel, right? And they run a monopoly. They don't invite competition. The players can't sell their services to anybody else. And as long as the union was around and the relationship between the union was there, um, they they really couldn't do anything. Like they they were forbidden from going into court and saying you NFL owners are are in violation of antitrust law because you're not dealing with us. Because I think it also had to do with the fact that like the players have to sue individually and all this other stuff. Um, so yeah, so the idea is that now that if they dissolve the union, then they can file an antitrust uh, measure, and then they can force a court to to um, have some sort of like, injunction against the owners, preventing them from the lo- doing the lockout. Right. Fenzel, yeah, yeah, Fenzel, you you are correct. Reading reading a little further on it, it makes more sense of a couple other news items, namely that you know the the players' association decertified the union on Friday, and immediately after, almost as if they had it waiting, filed a 52-page antitrust lawsuit against the the owners. So that makes right. sense. You know, they, they would have to have decertified in order to enter that lawsuit. Yeah, I think it's because it's because it has to do with like the fact that the union, when it is is not decertified, when it is certified, is the only group that can speak for the players because of the certification right. uh, and and thus it, and it's not the one that would be filing that lawsuit it would be filed by the players not by the union right so I believe. So, so for those of you who are wondering why we're talking about sports on the Overthinking It podcast, which you really do, <laughs> one is because, well, A, this gives us a chance to delve into the minutia of labor laws, of minu- which we you know we like to delve into the minutia of things. Um, but also because uh, I, I guess I'm, you know, I'm bringing this to the, the discussion which you probably want to have here, which is that, you know, of all the pro sports we have out there, uh, NFL football in particular is a huge looming presence in our pop culture in our cultural landscape and our cultural discourse, uh, both from sort of the uh, obsessive way that people follow it with their fantasy football leagues during the season. And then of course, obviously with the main event itself, the Super Bowl, right? And so, what happens to two dozen TV there? shows and two or three movies every year. Right. Uh, <laughs> it seems to, to me the real answer to this is to bring back the XFL. <laughs> because oh, then it's not a trust anymore, right? There's there's some competition. No, oh, you mean they should just prop up the XFL and like and like have it run at a deficit to protect themselves from litigation? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, no, if I'm the owners, that that's my plan. Uh, this will be interesting because I mean, we're seeing the, there were 85,000 people uh, in the capital of Wisconsin this weekend protesting um, some labor stuff. It'll be really interesting to see how the players get treated in this, um, as sort of there's a national discussion about unions, um, you know. We we like football players more than teachers apparently, so yeah, uh, you know this would be really fun to watch as sort of a, a, a compare and contrast. I think. Well, do you become? I mean, when when you're is the perception of NFL players, and I don't know because you know to me football is the one with the funny hats and shoulder pads. Um, is the perception of NFL players that they are? Uh, you know, despite the fact that they are doing this kind of grueling, uh, extremely intense, physically demanding, and uh, sort of damaging a lot of the time, uh, manual labor, 
right? Um, are they perceived as being sort of highly paid and, and you know, pampered celebrities in a sense as being like uh, privileged and, and this being a, um, a fight to maintain privilege? Uh, or is it, uh, you know, where do you think people's sympathies lie with this? I'm, I'm curious because I don't know much about it. Well, I think there's, there's two, like, two things that might happen. Right? Well, one is there's the, the point of contention is two more football games, which I think a lot of football fans would probably like to see. Um, the other one is, yes, they're prima donna, sort of like, you know, they're, they're, you know, how dare you go on strike? You're making tens of millions of dollars. But at the same time, like, we know their names and the owners are companies. And it's like in, in, in sort of any narrative, uh, if, if, if the players do this right, it will be very easy to sort of root for the people whose names we know and who's, you know, um, who we like to see run around rather than a faceless corporation that we know nothing about. I, I, will, I will say one interesting thing about this, and this is just from my perspective as a fan, is it's hard to, or it's, it's easy to forget that the NFL players as a whole are a single union. They are the NFL Players Association because there are such disparate levels of talent, fame, and I suppose relative wealth among players that it's easy to forget that, you know, Peyton Manning, one of the, you know, one of the most well-recognized and highly regarded quarterbacks in the history of the game as well as in, in the game contemporary. And Sergio Kindle, the uh, rookie-drafted uh, offensive linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens who has not yet played the down of football because of some off-field issues and fracturing his skull during practice last season. You know, that, that these guys, one of whom everyone's heard of and the other whom no one has heard of, are you know, the members of the same union. There is some hypothetical body that represents their interests equally, which, you know, sounds a little sounds a little suspect if taken just straight at face value, but I, I suppose that's the way negotiations work. Okay, so um, as far as I know, I there's really different levels of negotiation for the other sport that I know more about is uh, hockey, even though I don't really follow it all that closely. I have a friend who is obsessed, and uh, he was explaining to me how uh, in hockey, like, they have this free agent, and I have, like, really big scare quotes around that, like, ranking system. When you start, you're a restricted free agent, but you're basically, like, a regular player, like, say, in the NFL. You're, bas- you're at, like, the behest of whoever wants you, whoever has you. And right. as you gain experience, and as you gain experience, you get a little bit more say in what goes on. But um, as far as I know, even like the base pay for uh, a nobody in the NFL is still substantially higher than some of the guys who are supposedly like, the big stars in NHL. And I think that speaks to uh, how important NFL is in our culture versus hockey because no one really follows hockey or really cares and hockey tends to be the one that gets made fun of the most like oh you like hockey that's cute ha 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 instead of like oh yeah hockey raw i feel that way about golf more than hockey but (laughs) yeah yeah people i know who are into hockey i don't i don't make fun of because i could lose many fights to them <laughs> teeth. You lose teeth. I think is. Uh, hey, can I throw something in here too? Um, just to sort of add to all this this stuff, um, is that there's a big disparity in, in the NFL. The most important disparity in the NFL, in my view, is the length of your career, right? Because a lot of NFL players don't play for very long at all. You know, they only get a couple years in, like what, three to five years in, and then they're out, 
right? So they have that to make those years count. That depends on the position, though. I mean, like, um, Maynard on the Bears, he's been there for, like, 15 years. It depends on the position. Because oh, totally. if you're a kicker or mm-hmm. something who only comes out, like, you know, a couple times a game, you can last forever and be on four or five different teams. Yeah, but if you look at the playing careers in aggregate, right? In I think aggregate, oh I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure that NFL comes in last or first, depending on which you look at it, among the major sports leagues, right? Yeah. Well, I also just meant disparity like within football itself. Like the superstars, the ones who make a lot of money in football are often the ones who play for a long time. Um, and, and I think that football players are not seen as prima donnas to the degree that athletes and other sports are seen as prima donnas. And I think it's for cultural reasons, not necessarily reasons having to do with what they do on the field or even sort of their level of celebrity. I think that um, football players, they wear masks, right? So you don't see their faces as much. Uh, because you don't see their faces, there's sort of less of a cult of personality. Like, I don't see as much uh, endorsement by individual football players just relative to the dominance of the sport and its popularity over their sports, as I might, right? Um, and I think that's important. And I think that the other thing about football is that, like, the people, the awful, awful things happen to them on the field in front of everybody, right? Um, much worse than in many of the other sports, you know, the constant brain damage and all that. Not all other sports, you know, there's other sports which are more violent and like boxing and stuff like that. But like people are being just wrecked out there. And, and I think it's really hard to, talk, to look at somebody who like, you know, broke his, broke his arm and like, like played again and be like, you're a prima donna. Right. It's not like it's not like somebody who's like, you know, <laughs> tennis and making like ten million dollars is somebody who's like, oh, like they cracked their skull, like they busted their knee and they're out there like pushing some three hundred fifty pound dude away from a two hundred and forty pound dude. Um, so I don't think NFL players are seen as prima donnas. I don't think that'll play against them. If anything, culturally speaking, it might be interesting to see the uh, in the NFL, you know, workers, players held up against the other unions and people saying like, oh, look, the NFL people don't need a union. You don't need a union either, right? And like, oh, look, these people work hard. And they don't have a union. So you don't need a union, you teachers. You should be like, like Drew Bledsoe. That was <laughs> you should be like Drew Bledsoe, who at one point was a football player. In you, should, you, should be, you, should be a, you should be a Drew Bledsoe and stand still for as long as possible until someone charges from around the corner and hits you. Yeah, exactly. No, it's not, I'm not saying that there aren't from Madonna's and there aren't celebrities, but it's not like basketball where everybody wants to have a shoe, right? Uh, it, just, it just doesn't feel the same. I don't feel... The, the aura is the same, uh, and so I don't think that it, it they necessarily. I don't think that, that in terms of the court of public opinion, the NFL owners are in as strong of a position as say like the Major League Baseball owners would be. They would be like, I don't want A Rod to make more money, you know, like, and then it's like, well, if you don't want Ben Roethlisberger to make more money, break his legs, tweet <laughs> the leg. So, yes, yeah. the leg. Exactly. I think we can all agree that he should not make any more money. Well, yeah. Right. Like, there's a national yeah. consensus on that. You need to go away. <laughs> Don't do that wealth distribution class warfare stuff around me, Josh. Like, this is <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, Well, well we, we were talking about the, the relative levels of, of sympathy for, you know, for members of a given professional sport. And while I think the NFL Players Association would be the more sympathetic side versus the owners in this given dispute, I think there's also... A, a great uh, sort of consensus that, or I guess this sort of prejudice that NFL players are tended to be viewed as criminal or more likely to be criminal. You know, when people when people hear about you know NFL players getting in trouble with the law, there's there's a sort of expectation that oh okay oh you know it's only a matter of time versus you know if you heard about 
say, a baseball player, you know, carrying a gun into a club or something like that, or a baseball player being pulled over with 340 pounds of marijuana in the back of his Escalade, which which did happen to Tank Williams, in point of fact, a, a pro football player a couple of years ago. 340 pounds? It, it was, it was a substantial... Like- that's like yeah, several pounds of mulch bags in your back. That, that's like a whole other. That's like a whole other NFL player's worth of. Yeah. <laughs> he was using I mean, dead body. I may, be, I may be exaggerating the raw quantity a little, but it wasn't. It wasn't just a lid. Like it wasn't just a dime bag. It was. It, it was. It was substantial quantities. It was. Let me, let me ask you a question, John. Do you have a Ray Lewis jersey? I, yes, I do. In point of fact, <laughs> Ray Lewis, who, who for those of you who aren't, who don't immediately or who don't follow professional football, and from that name doesn't call to mind, was fully accused. Well, not wrongfully. Well, uh, he was oh, never con- he was never convicted. Never convicted. He was never convicted of murdering those two people. He was uh, he was convicted for obstruction of justice. Uh, got you know got a got sentenced you know with time served, so he was able to play next year and won the Super Bowl. Everyone, everyone knows he won the Super Bowl. No one believes Trent Dilfer won that Super Bowl because, I mean, come on, it's Trent Dilfer. Look, when you come at the king, you best not miss, right? <laughs> That's how it works in Baltimore. That is, that is how it works. In- but yeah, but I, yeah, I hear. I, I bring up the I bring up the criminality thing because I, I, I get, and it's it's kind of a sticky subject to delve into which sports are considered to be the most criminal or considered to have the most criminals playing in them. But I would say football is probably up there. Basketball, basketball. probably close. Basketball, probably a close second. Maybe, maybe baseball. And I mean, the criminality there largely tends to revolve around things which baseball itself makes illegal, like use of banned substances and gambling on game, games. You know, Pete Rose. I think those are actually illegal, aren't they? Like steroids? No, it's, it's, it's not. It's not illegal to consume anabolic steroids or human growth hormone. It's just against the. It's just against the rules of. Uh, against the rules of that. Major, League, Major League Baseball. Then, uh, then what have we been waiting for? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you can be pre- you can be prescribed steroids. You can be prescribed human growth yeah. hormone. You- Just to be clear, it is there are in fact anabolic steroids that are illegal. So be careful about taking those drugs. No, but not all of them are. HGH, I don't think it is. I don't, I don't know whether that's that, but there are there are illegal ones. I think, right? Yeah, um, but well, but I mean, like you know, but I mean, right. you you can't be prescribed. Heroin, except by really cool doctors. You can't be. You can't. Be, you can't be prescribed to murder a guy. You know, there's. I mean, there's. There's illegal, and there's scare quotes in the air. Illegal is, is the distinction I'm drawing. Yeah, fair enough. But again, if, if we if, if I get in, if I get into talking about this country's drug laws, I'll, I'll get on this weird political tangent. We're supposed to stay away from politics on the podcast, so I'm not going to do that. Well, here's Are another we? thing I'll say is that, if, well, first of all, if you want to find a sport that has the most criminals, you probably got to pick something like um, like middle and long distance hobby running because it's going to have the most players, right? That's most people. Big bowling has the most criminals because it has like a bazillion people who play it. Um, I mean, there are there are sort of cultural and social and economic correlations, right? Like you don't think of tennis as having a lot of criminals, probably because when people in those particular uh, uh, you know, areas of, of privilege, you know, play tennis. Uh, if they do legal things, they don't get punished for them as quickly or caught as much. And also, like, uh, they, they aren't under as much economic pressure to necessarily, like, flout laws around, like, commerce and things like that, such as, like, the, having to buy and sell illegal things for a living. Um, but, yeah, no, but it's interesting. Or even more, no, more so, just, like, you know, the, the presence of these things in their communities and 
and all this other socioeconomic stuff. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, it would be interesting. Who is the? Is there a face? Like, I haven't seen any faces of people involved in this negotiation. That's kind of the most interesting thing about this new story for me culturally, other than, and I'd love to hear what people think about this later, but what do you do in the fall if there is no football, right? Like, how does that affect how people live? But, but also, just around these negotiations, there's, like, no photographs in the stories. Like, I mean, it's, oh, who looking for whom, right? A random lawyer. Um, it's not like, you know... If somebody, and I can't even think of something who would be like Tom Brady isn't like out there as you know, and the cover of every newspaper being like, you know, they, we need to get back to work and they need to let us, right? Because it, it's to do with the whole criminality thing, but it might be hard to find. It also has to do with the, the sort of tiering and the kind of uh, you know, structure inequalities within the NFL players, right? And maybe they don't want to have a, a spokesperson of a particular nature. I'm not sure. I mean, can anybody shed any light on either of those subjects? I'm not sure. But I will say that I, if you were anybody who remember the baseball strike. From the mid nineties. Yeah. Right. Yes. And which is known for couples. One, if we're talking about sort of player sympathies, I think sympathy was really, you know, against uh, the baseball players in that right. They were seen as a bunch of prima donnas who put on their pajamas yeah. and stood around in the outfield and demanded like $10 million for that. Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. But I, I do a name, the name Donald fair for some reason really jumps to mind. I think he was perhaps a spokesperson, like the vilified spokesperson for the major league baseball players association. Um, and to be fair, like this is years after the fact, and there was a very long strike in which he was a spokesperson for the whole thing, which is why, you know, that name comes to mind for that. But uh, at least now I'm like getting uh, this New York Times article about the lockout, and I don't see a photograph attached to this. I don't see like NFLPA spokesperson, blah, 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 is being attached to this either. So uh, Pete, I think you're right. Yeah, this is listing right now. Wait, a lot can you of... say that again, Mark? I didn't hear that. Can you say that one more time? Oh, I was, I was saying I think you're right. It's a face. Oh, really? Wait, oh, I'm sorry. I think my headset is malfunctioning. Could you just say that one, one more time? One more time, please. Rule of three. Come on. Comedy uh, rule I, three. I, I think P. Fenzel is an idiot. Ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that well was played. Well played. That, that, that baseball, uh, you know, either at the beginning or eventually came to have a personification of the players union and the whiny players union and we just don't have that now or we might not ever have it for the nfl it's probably too early to tell well okay. and how about the other question if, if, if that if that if that's where we are on that what what do you guys want to do like what if you're really intent on watching football in the autumn and i'll say this and this is kind of cruel to be talking about watching football if gab doesn't like football uh or, or sports no i love football Oh well, then what are you? What are you? I'm wearing do a Chicago Bears uh, sweatshirt right now. Oh, oh wow! Well, well, tell us what you would be doing with your, your son. You know, autumn if there's no football and the tumbleweeds are, are blowing through the um, HD channels that would normally carry it. I think I would be curled in a fetal position, weeping with a football swinging with my head. <laughs> I mean, that's what I do on a Sunday anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably be doing homework, to be honest. Um, it, I would be sad. It, it wouldn't, like, destroy me, heart, soul. There would be a little gap in my, my uh, I guess, my, I would, in the fall, I always watch football as much as I can on Sundays. I would, like, camp out in front of the TV and do my homework. I mean, there's always college football. Uh you think I'd like that, but I just can't get into college football. Yeah, I mean, you're from Indiana. You're from America's heartland. You're supposed to be the, the college football obsessed demographic. Yeah, go Boilermakers, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Fair I, enough. Fair enough. Yeah. 
Go ahead, John. It's it's tough because I guess I mean college football is still college football is immensely popular in the United States for our international listeners. But we've said football over the last forty five minutes. We've meant American football, not soccer. Sorry. Uh, college football is still immensely popular in the United States, but it's it's a weird sort of localized popularity. Like you get your, your Ohio State and your Michigan fans, and they're very intense, like up scarily intense. It, it really is frightening the degree to which that rivalry goes on. Or you know, being a, a Boston College graduate, you'll have your your BC football fans and you know. Oh, your, your ACC rivalries and your big, and your Big East rivalries, et cetera. But they, they hey, mate, hey, mate, don't forget SEC. Auburn Tiger, Oregon. Hey, don't yes. forget yeah. SEC. But Mark, I think you're mistaken. <laughs> Thank you for stepping in with that, Mark. Go, go, go So Well, I, I got trained to not like college football by my dad because uh, he went off on this big rant when I was like eight about how the Bulls system is terrible and you know the the right teams don't play each other and da, 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 da. and as far as i can tell it's only gotten worse i've tried to understand the bowl system and i don't yeah. and I, I know um, some of the rules are different for college football as opposed to uh professional football and so i guess that's just really made me disinterested and i tried liking the uh uh that other one the one that you hello to, to be fair, uh, what was it? Arena football. Arena, yeah. Not as good either. Yeah. Oh, the Doug, the Doug Flutie stuff. Yeah, I know. He played arena football, right? Isn't that where he was for a long time? Where we can like bounce the football off the walls? I actually don't know. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what they talking. play in Starship Troopers, right? Yeah. Sounds like you're thinking of bumper pool. Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. I thought I was talking about professional football, but I was really talking about playing jacks. <laughs> Bouncing this ball against the ground and picking up these spiky things. Who thought of that? That's a crazy game. Uh, well, to, be, to be fair, Gab, your dad is correct. The bowl system in, in college football in America is is bullshit garbage nonsense, and it should not be it should not be tolerated by any sentient creature. But at the at the same time, it's it's kind of weird the the degree of national interest in professional football when there are very few professional football franchises and there's there's not that degree of well i mean that that's not quite fair there is almost that degree of money in the ncaa but it's not i i guess i feel like the ncaa football isn't that same sort of spectacle the way that you know the super bowl is that you you wouldn't get as many people watching the orange bowl or the rose bowl as you would the super bowl it's not it's not that same big cultural phenomenon i mean you don't have to talk about it hypothetically like it it, it doesn't uh, it doesn't get as many people it still gets a lot of people though but it doesn't get as many right i mean i think you maybe you covered this when earlier john but just to to, to paraphrase it it's a numbers game, right? There are hundreds of distributed, localized pockets of college football fanaticism. Where in the NFL, there's how many teams? Thirty teams. Thirty-two. Thirty-two teams nationwide, and uh, you know, so all of the attention span of of, of pro football uh, is not quite as distributed. Right? It's much more concentrated. Everybody's like, on the exact same wavelength. Like if you wanted to try to follow every single college football game uh, at Division One A uh, over a weekend, there's there's what a, like a, I don't know like several dozen games going on every weekend, right? And then with NFL, it's concentrated just like uh, how many games? Like maybe 10, 15 games every weekend? Well, how many teams, right? Divided by two, right? About 15 games. <laughs> games weekend. Math! Okay. Um, to take things in a slightly different direction here, going back to sort of this question of TV watching, what happens to eyeballs on TV if the NFL goes dark? And also think about like, what are the networks going to put on, on the air in, in, in that dead time, right? I mean, Matt, I'm kind of you know looking in your direction because you are 
our insider in the entertainment biz, uh, as it were, like, right, they plan on having hours upon hours devoted to NFL football, whatever networks, NBS, Fox, and, uh, and CBS, that carry that, uh, that carry that, all of them carry that NFL, right? ABC? Hey, Mark, ABC. I'm, uh, I'm standing out here on the left coast, the bleeding edge of America, here to report to you on the entertainment capital of the universe. And I'm What's up, tell you Matt? That. Tell us about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, here on the red carpet, Natalie Portman is wearing maternity jeans and is pumping breast milk <laughs> to save... T- no. <laughs> Uh, uh, just to break my heart. No, um, uh, I think more reality shows. <laughs> you know what I mean? The, the, the weight loss ones seem to be very popular. Hey, hey I, I saw some Biggest Loser this weekend. They've gotten really good at making that show. I mean, I tell you, with like the cutaways at like the precise moments and the epic music and timing the redemption with the with the swells in the music. You and know, there like are that. you know there are some cheesy reality shows, but the big ticket ones on the network, like yeah, even the kind of the second tier ones like Top Chef, like they they are good. They have fi- they have figured it out. You know, it, we were a fall, far cry from the days of like Puck and the Real World San Francisco. They you know they <laughs> they figured out how to make television for cheap and get a lot of people to watch it. And sell advertising. I know it's. I know it's. I know it's very easy to bemoan the lack of quality in reality TV and like, oh, how you know it doesn't require writers or quality actors, and you know it's really dragging down the craft. But I, I guess it, it really is producing a new generation of really good editors, like people who are really good at, <laughs> at, at slicing clips together to create a narrative. Well, and actually, that's I'm not gonna, easy. Let's bring a bunch of stuff full circle here, right? The the big controversy with um, big controversy with reality TV is both the kind of the producers who in essence, write it, and the editors um, m- might want to be unionized, and they're not because they're not writers, you know. And and writers are uh, are represented by um, uh, by a union, by the Writers Guild of America, that dictates uh, wages and working conditions for um, you know for writing television for you know primetime television, and there are different you know primetime daytime cable, the different tiers of cable, uh, premium cable thing, you know stuff like this, network TV. Um, but they uh, and and the writers have been trying to organize uh, reality show producers, um, and uh, have had have had uh, no luck with with it. Um, partly, I, I you know partly I think because. Uh, Oh, partly because I think the the production companies that make reality television want to um, perpetrate that uh, perpetrate they perpetrate and um, want to perpetuate the illusion that uh, it is not written when in fact it it plainly is. Uh, but also because you know you can't work them for twenty hours a day if you know if there's a union kind of dictating hours and turnaround times and you know. Over time and and things like this, and the people who make reality television work insane uh, hours, almost as much as normal people, which is unheard of in entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> well, to 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 temporarily take the the anti union side, just to keep this from being a complete IWW fest, because I know we we get issues for that in the in the past. Uh, I mean, th- there are reasons why workers might not want to join a union because, you know, a union is essentially a cartel that works to drive up the price of a good, in this case, the labor of its members. And the one of the issues with any cartel is the only way to keep people in it, the only way to keep the cartel functioning is through, at some level, intimidation, either either, you know, 
coercing people or peer pressure or in the case of, you know, some of this country's uglier unions in the past, physically threatening them. But, you know, because if you have people who are willing to go outside the union and cross picket lines or scab or work for non-union rates, then the cartel falls apart and then, you know, collective bargaining doesn't work anymore. So, I mean, there might be people who just don't want to be a part of that, who are just like, eh, I don't want to deal with all that BS. I like why, I like why, why do you hate two different cartels on this. <laughs> and not, neither of them were drug related. I mean, yeah, it's um. So, so are we saying that fear will keep them in line? Like fear of this battle? Like there needs to be some sort of Death Star scenario, right? Where we uh, build a giant battle station to resolve all of these labor negotiations, so we get to watch whatever we want to watch on television. Exactly. How it all, the, <laughs> how it all the, fits together. The tight, the tighter you squeeze down on union members, the more of them will slip through your picket line. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I think we're all like a little. It's like okay, this is really in the topic that we feel awkward talking about. Uh, yeah. I love how we also love to. Whenever we get any disapproval from people about the topics we talk about, there's this real temptation to just like really talk about it. Um, <laughs> you're not. Yeah, you're not the we, boss we of us. Get, comment we did thread. get one comment. I think. Uh, <laughs> one yeah. comment. Saying Josh, don't be such a yeah. Don't don't uh, don't be so alarmist, Josh. Don't be such a pinko. Um, but. Uh, but that's funny. That's a good. That's a good tip. This is an overthinking it podcast pro tip, right? If you want us to talk about something, take us to task um, for talking about it on the show. <laughs> <laughs> right? Take us to task and tell us how we shouldn't in the comments. It's uh, it's garden variety reverse psychology. <laughs> yeah, we we really are pretty thin skinned One last bit because I did unwittingly give some uh, false legal advice earlier on the podcast. Uh, anabolic steroids are in fact a Schedule Three controlled substance in the United States. So please, <laughs> I I, wiki- I Wikipedia that in the in the downtime. So please don't take them on the advice of your podcaster because that's that's not that won't hold up in a court of law i don't i don't want to get on <laughs> i'm declining i'm declining to comment on the advice of my podcaster <laughs> in other words what you're saying john is now you know and knowing is half the battle right Excellent. Before we wrap, I would like to I would like to say one thing unequivocally and make it perfectly clear that is Pete Fenzel is not an idiot. Uh he is not. That was a joke. Before Pete Yay, Fenzel is one of the smartest you. guys I know, and in addition to that, one of the most decent. Uh, so there you go. Even that's, if he is, even if he does need to learn how to work the mute button on his Skype, um, this is the, true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, if you want to join the conversation and you're a chump, email us at podcastedoverthinkingit.com and uh, or call two zero three two eight five six four zero one. You can also text that number. Um, if you have <laughs> right in the right right to podcast at overthinking it.com if you have listened to the whole back catalog of overthinking it uh, podcast episodes um, we want to hear from you I think next week we may have a different guest on uh, who is a lifer uh, I don't know what to uh, I don't know what to call you we should we should have a name for your community gab um, but you see you you've actually uh, it's not a trifecta. It's a what? A bifecta? A duofecta? Um, bo- both an exacta. An exacta. An exacta. Yeah. It's uh, you've you've bought the two dollar exacta, which pays out you know one hundred and forty dollars and twenty seven cents uh, for what you've done, which is to read the entire site from the beginning and also to uh, listen to the whole to the whole podcast. And, no, no, no. Um, the, the trifecta is she's done both of those things and got her mom to call 
to the Overthinking a Podcast voicemail. That's right. That and happened. I have a sweatshirt to prove it. <laughs> oh, yeah, you do. I, you Weren't you going to send us a, a – sorry, a little background for the listeners. We um, – we did an early giveaway uh, for like my birthday or something a couple years ago. Uh, all the writers on the site got together and got me a then custom overthinking it sweatshirt. I was in New York for the I was in New York for my birthday or something like that. And so, um, but they got an extra large, you know, which my feelings were kind of hurt by because <laughs> I did I did have a few. I could have stand I could have stood to trim down at the time, but I was not an extra large. <laughs> So, um, fortunately, the good folks at uh, whatever place made it agreed to uh, make a new size, medium, thank you very much, uh, for, um, uh, for no money. But we had this extra sweatshirt, and we, uh, I, we said we'd give it away to whoever got, their, uh, whoever got their mom to call in to the podcast voicemail. And, Gab, <laughs> you were successful at doing this. And your mom left the greatest voicemail, which was, hello, this is Gabrielle's mother. She told me to call this number. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure why, but uh, my daughter told me to do something, and I have uh, I have done it. And so you got um, you got the overthinking it sweatshirt, yes, which I'm sure you're swimming in. But uh, hey, it's oh, one totally. Of, it's one of a it's one of a kind. You know, it's a it's, uh, it's awesome. A, it's a collector's item. It's one of a kind. But I, I, at the time, I remember I said uh, ask uh, I asked you to to take a camera phone picture of yourself modeling the overthinking it dot com uh, one of a kind sweatshirt and and send it in to me. We won't we won't uh, we'll just um, you know put it up on the office bulletin board or something like that. You know what I mean? We like to uh, we like to to uh, see who see who our fans are, see who our listeners are. So um, yeah, if that you have. If you've done the Exacta, or you've uh, or you've uh, listened to the whole uh, catalog of the podcast, give us a you know write a write a mail at podcastsoverthinkingit.com. Everyone uh, sign up for Netflix, and everyone go to um, uh, everyone go to overthinkingit.com/store and get the overview. And uh, we'll be back with more articles and stuff like that, uh, and a podcast next week on www.overthinkingit.com, the site where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It is. So, Gab, the real question is of all of us, who's your favorite? I want to make right now a, uh, a Martin Luther King Day drinking game. And so here's my first suggestion drink every time uh, Dr. King employs the rhetorical device of anaphora. <laughs> oh, oh! You mean you mean a drinking game for his "I Have a Dream" speech, not related to Martin Luther King Day itself? Well, no. I mean, don't you always hear the speech on Martin Luther King Day? I mean, isn't there always some TV channel or something like that, or radio station playing back uh, the speech or selections from it? You know, so I I consider it part of the ritual celebration of Martin Luther King Day, right? I, I'll I'll be honest. I I haven't heard that speech since high school. I, I feel kind of bad now. Wow. Does, Ra- racist. Does, does someone want to read it to me? <laughs> well, wh- why don't you go write for the AV club, you racist? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go hang out.